Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And as promised, I wanted to take a week out to try to uh, give you some encouragement. Just a little encouragement. I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and then I'm going to read uh, from Philippians chapter 1, and then from the book of Jude. I'm going to start at verse 3. And go down to verse 6. It reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I'm going to turn over to Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read just verse 6. And sorry, I'm not going to wait for you. It reads, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And my last scripture from the book of Jude, the end of the book of Jude, not the beginning. <laughs> Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to come into your presence. We thank you for another opportunity to hear your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as we are reading these scriptures and listening to this message, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that you would continue to work on us to confirm the truth of God's love towards us. Even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our failures, even in spite of our inconsistency. Help us to know that your promise is secure, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You didn't say that you would not leave us or forsake us if we perfectly obeyed or if we did everything correctly. You said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that you will help us as we have embraced the gospel to the saving of our souls. I pray that you would help us to use the gospel for our consciences, Lord. Sometimes our consciences are, uh, are overactive and and we feel guilty and condemned and shamed before you. And sometimes that causes us to question whether or not we can genuinely be saved or if you really love us. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to use the gospel to heal our consciences, our emotions, and our minds, Lord. And settle once and for all that because you died for us, you will one day come and receive us unto yourself because you are able to keep us from falling and to present us blameless in your presence. And one day that will be true of each of us who have trusted in Christ. We thank you now for these things in Jesus name. Amen. I want to use these scriptures this morning uh, using the title. Good news for a bad conscience. Good news for a bad conscience. We have spent uh, this entire year going through the epistle of James and the book of Job. And that means that we have spent an entire year focusing on ourselves, how we respond to trials, 
Do we have adequate works to support our faith claims? And, and on and on and on. And quite naturally, spending uh, this much time focusing on ourselves has produced for some of us a sort of spiritual depression. When looking at our own lives, we probably all feel like Philip Yancey, who said in his popular book, What's So Amazing About Grace? When I look at my life, at best, I can say I've been inconsistent. We know our failures. We know our inconsistencies. We know our past and our present sins. And we also know that no matter how hard we try, we are powerless to fix ourselves. Bless you. So our memories and our consciences become cruel taskmasters laying on us mental and emotional burdens that we cannot bear. In times like these, many of us are not, not only question ourselves, but we begin to question God. We doubt if God has truly forgiven us, if he truly even loves us. And we may not use those particular words or terms, but when we look at ourselves and then question whether or not we can truly be saved, we are not ultimately doubting ourselves. We are doubting the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the one who said, I, even I, am the one who wipes out all of your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Today I want to, uh, as I said last week, I want to focus today on trying to uh, encourage us. Because um, again, I have been hearing from so many of you as we have worked our way through the book of James and through the book of Job. And um, I want us to see how the gospel applies to us, not just spiritually, Right. But practically, um, how the gospel uh, can be used to deal with a guilty conscience or uh, memories of, of past or even present sins. Right. Um, so that we don't continue to beat ourselves up because we have been focusing on ourselves uh, so long this year. So today I want to start with a passage that has been uh, transformative from my own relationship with God, right? And that is here in Ephesians chapter 1. Many of you all know that as a teenager, uh, I had low self-esteem, struggled with loneliness and uh, feeling as if I was unloved. I had uh, tons of friends, uh, two tons of family, okay, <laughs> I had a lot of family, um, and even church family um, that loved me, told me regularly that they loved me, was always uh, with people. But even when I was in the room full of people, I didn't feel loved. And I didn't feel that love because I was always focused on myself, my shortcomings, my failures, my sins. And um, one day, this passage here, um, Ephesians chapter 1, particularly verse 6, um, I had read this passage numerous times. Um, I was reading through Ephesians, and somehow verse 6 just got stuck in my head. And literally for three days, um, I just kept hearing over and over and over again, you have been accepted in the Beloved. You have been accepted in the beloved. You have been accepted in the beloved. And this verse just kept ringing over and over um, in my, my mind um, until it just clicked. <laughs> and I still remember where I was. I was in the stacks. Uh, most of you all um, know the, the library downtown, the main library. Um, they have about four or five stories underground. And so I worked in the, the stacks under, under the library. And um, I remember to this day that it just clicked. And I, I don't know how long I was down there, crying, praising God, thanking God. People probably like, what is going on down there? Like having church service down here? <laughs> right. Uh, but it clicked that I have been accepted by God in Christ. 
Um, and from that day until this day, even though um, I've still uh, sinned, still fall short, still blow it sometimes, I have never, ever, ever doubted God's love. Um, now, um, those of you all who are friends with me on social media know that I, I've taken it to the extreme. I don't care what anybody thinks. You know, might need to dial it back just a little bit, but <laughs> but I recognize that I have been accepted in Christ. And no matter what I do or what anyone else says, it will never change that. What I want um, you all to see here is the, the real problem is that we have either misunderstood or we have not fully embraced the gospel. We think of the gospel in terms of what we need to accept in order to get into heaven, but we don't realize that the gospel is not just about getting us into heaven. It is about practical issues of life. God has forgiven us, so we will go to heaven. <laughs> but what does that forgiveness mean for our conscience? What does it mean when we remember things that we've done in the past? I mean, I told you last Sunday that um, I woke up Sunday and and s literally, I remember the summer of 1999, I did something and I'm just like, if I could just kick myself. I mean, there's so many times I had to tell God, there's so many times he has had to save me from myself. If I told y'all half the stuff that I've done, y'all be like, what? Why are we listening to him as our pastor? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> we couldn't find somebody better than this. <laughs> right. But that's how Satan works. He is the accuser of the brethren. Sometimes our consciences work that way. Our, our conscience make us feel guilty and ashamed of things that we have done. And we should feel ashamed of, of some of the things that we have done. Lord knows I feel ashamed. If I had a time machine, there's a whole lot of stuff I would go and change. But since we can't change those things, how is the gospel supposed to help us deal with those memories and those, those senses, uh, that sense of guilt and shame? And I believe here is where we need to begin in Ephesians chapter 6, ver, um, chapter 1, verse 6. By the time I had this experience where I, uh, one six clicked in my mind, you know, at the age of 19, um, I had already been like the, the leader of a ministry. I had already um, given speeches in the business meetings at church in, during service. You know, I was teaching discipleship classes to other people. I understood the gospel, but the gospel had not yet penetrated my emotions, the way I thought, my conscience, my memory. Now, this is what I want you to see here. There's two things in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, that I want you to see. And I think that um, these two things... Uh, will we'll go a long way if we can allow these things to penetrate into our hearts. I think that they will go a long way to help soothe our conscience right, when we begin to remember our past sins or failures or shortcomings. What I want you to, to do is read with me again verses 3 through 6. Okay, And I'm going to put an emphasis on certain things so that you can hear it. Let's read together. Ephesians 1, start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, you, you, can, you can underline in Christ if you want. 
Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, you got to underline that, he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Notice what it says. Verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse uh, 5, by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the beloved. Now, tell me which of those four phrases has anything to do with your shortcomings, your failures, or your sins. None. See, what happens, we are constantly looking at ourselves. My shortcomings, my failures, my sins, the things that I have done wrong. And properly speaking, God has never looked at us. (laughs) He has only looked at us in Christ. He has only looked at us in Christ. If he ever looked at us apart from Christ, he would only see our sin, but he has chosen us in Christ. He has adopted us by Christ. He has accepted us in the beloved. So every single blessing, every single thing that God has ever done for us has always been in Christ. Your shortcomings, your failures, your sin, all of that means nothing because God looks at us in Christ. Now, what does it mean when Paul uses this phrase, uh, Paul uses this phrase here some 90 times in Christ or in him. And Paul here is trying to tell us that every single thing that we have in relationship to God has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our union with Christ. He says God has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So as we have been united to Christ by faith, right, Jesus' active and passive obedience, the fact that he lived a completely sinless life all of his life, never sinned, and then he went to the cross and died for us, God now in Christ sees us as being perfectly obedient just like his son. So that even though we fail and even though we sin, even though we have shortcomings, he only sees us as perfectly righteous in Christ. And he only treats us as perfectly righteous in Christ. Your shortcomings, your sin, Your failures mean nothing to God because he only relates to you in Christ. The second thing I want you to see here in this passage, not only is that, not only um, is God not looking at us, he's looking at us through Christ. Paul says here that, verse 4, he chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So not only is God not looking at our our current sin and, and failures and judging us by them, he's judging us based on what he sees in Christ, but God did all of these things for us 
before he even created the world. Before you were able to do anything good or bad, before you were able able to fail or succeed or to try, he picked you out. He selected you. He chose you because he wanted you, not because he knew you would do good works, because none of your works are good. (laughs) None None of your works are good in God's sight. He picked you just because he loved you. And why did he love you? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I asked him, what? You know, and it's because I'm so such a, you know, great guy that you love. No. No, not why he picked us. Like he told the nation of Israel, I loved you because I loved you. And that's it. God, before he created anything, He was thinking about you in Christ, and he picked you for himself. Knowing that you would fail, knowing that you would sin, knowing that you would do all of the things that we don't tell each other in church. (laughs) And he picked you anyway. Now, think about the logic of all of these things. We think that because we sin and because we fail, that is a reason for God to turn his back on us. We think that because of our shortcomings and because of the things that we've done in our past, and for some of us, the things that we, you know, quietly doing right now, that's a reason for God to not love us. But that's not what Paul says. The omniscient God, before he created any of these things, knowing all the things that we would do, every single thing. We would look at Psalm 139. He knows everything about us before a word comes off our tongue, even the four-letter words. He already knows it. (laughs) He already knows it. He knows every single moment of your life. And he picked you anyway. So how could the shortcomings and failures and sin in your life that you go through, how is that supposed to turn him away from you? It can't. Your works have never been a factor in him saving you. And they, don't, and they won't be a factor that will cause him to deny you. It is all about his grace toward you in Christ. And what we have to learn how to do is to take the truth of the gospel and what we see in Scripture and, 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 and learn how to apply these things to our hearts and minds when we're struggling with doubt and with fear and with guilt and with shame. You with me? Because Satan is going to accuse of, us of, of, the, of these things. Right? Our, our consciences uh, will, 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 will cause us to feel guilty and ashamed of what we know about ourselves that no one else knows. But it's in those times we have to continue to tell ourselves that God has chosen me in Christ, apart from my own works. And because of Christ, he has accepted me and he will never forsake me. And we have to keep telling ourselves that over and over and over again until it penetrates our heart, our minds, our conscience, our memory, everything, until God's word, the gospel, becomes true in our hearts and minds so that we have it. Just got to keep telling ourselves. And this, this is what meditation is all about, right? Right. What David says, he meditates on the word day and night. Just keep working on it over and over and over again. He has accepted me in the beloved. He's accepted me. He has accepted me. Doesn't matter what no one else thinks, how anybody else feels me, how anybody else turns that back on me. God, the God of the universe has accepted me 
And we keep telling ourselves that until it penetrates. Keep telling yourself, God chose me <laughs> until it sticks. I think part of the problem is that what we tend to do is we put the emphasis on ourselves. We put the emphasis on us accepting Jesus. <laughs> All right. So, so we hear the gospel and I put my trust in Jesus. I accepted Jesus, right, as if that's some big honor. Okay. <laughs> and I don't want to downplay uh, the, the fact that God has said throughout his word that we must accept Christ by faith. But what we have to realize is us accepting Christ is an effect, Right? It's not a cause. It is an effect. It is the result of God himself acting on us by the Holy Spirit to cause us to embrace the gospel and to unite us to Christ by faith. So, yes, we put our faith in, in, in Christ, but the only reason we trusted in Christ is because God was pursuing us. And the Holy Spirit acted on us to open our eyes to understand the gospel and to unite us to Christ. And because of God's work, then we put our trust in Christ. So if we maintain the correct emphasis on what the gospel says, right, we will recognize that we are not in Christ because of anything we have done, as Paul said, not by works of righteousness by which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Salvation is a work of God. Now, this is not one of my scriptures, but I had to go here. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Turn it really quickly. We, we have to understand salvation is a work of God. Yes, you put your trust in Christ. God will not do that for you. But the only reason you have come to Christ it's because God called you. He drew you to himself. And you can't take credit for just saying, yes, Lord. <laughs> Listen to how Paul says it. Romans chapter 8. A uh, very familiar passage of scripture. This is what um, some call an um, ordo salutis, uh, meaning the order of salvation. Verse 28 uh, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, notice a couple things I want you to see here. Paul starts off by saying that all things, regardless of your circumstance, all of these things are working together for your good to those who are the called according to God's purpose. Those whom God is calling to fulfill his purpose, all things will work out for their good. Okay. Cancer, you know, Bad arteries, debilitating migraines. Okay. We don't know why God allows all of these things. Trust me, I'm going to be the first in line when we get to heaven. Like, God, I have a list we need to talk about. <laughs> and I just a couple things. I just, I just couldn't understand your purpose. You know, I just need clarity. I need some answers. Okay. And uh, when I have my Job experience, you all can laugh. You're like, that was dumb. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but regardless of what we go through, right, all of these things are working for our good. God is going to work it somehow to be good for us. We don't know how, you know, like they say, by and by, <laughs> you know, it will be good. But then he says, for whom he foreknew. Now, in English, we kind of think, okay, well, that's God's foreknowledge. God knew in advance 
what we were going to do. So these are the people that God picked. That's not the idea behind this, this Greek word for, for no, right? Um, the long story short, uh, this word here for foreknew theologically is equivalent to the word that we saw in Ephesians 1, right, where he, 1, 4, he chose us. It's talking about his election, him picking certain people for salvation. So you can literally re- replace this word with chosen. For whom he has chosen, okay, and then it will be right in line with what Paul says in, in Ephesians 1. Those God foreknew, those that he had picked, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So if he chose you, he picked a destiny out for you beforehand. And that destiny was for you to be conformed to his son, to look just like Christ in every way. Morally, spiritually, but in heaven, you'll look like him because you'll have a glorified body just like him. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. So back to those he called according to his purpose. He calls you. He gives you an offer, an invitation in the gospel to come to him. And those whom he called, these he also justified. He declares them not guilty. You are righteous in Christ. And those whom he justifies, these he also glorified. Now notice here that all of these words end in ed. Right? He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. He glorified you. Bless you. Now, anybody, anybody been to heaven and got that glorified body? You sinless? You don't sin? I would like to meet you. But Paul is saying here that. If God chose you and predestined you and called you and justified you, he sees it as if it is already done. You will be glorified. You will stand in his presence, holy and blameless, just like he said in Ephesians 3, 4. I'm sorry, 3, I'm, 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 I'm 3. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. There you go. It's a done deal. Your conscience does not change that. Your guilt won't change that. Your shame won't change that. He chose you before he even created the world to be in Christ. He didn't look at your sin, your shortcomings, or your failures. He chose that the people that he called and elected to himself will be glorified and holy and blameless in his presence. And even though you fail, in God's eyes, it's already a done deal. You will make it. We just have to work on our conscience and help ourselves get to the place where God has called us. He sees us as holy ones right now, even though we still sin. You with me? It is the work of God, and therefore, writing to the Philippians, Paul could say, this is what he says in Philippians 1, 6, He who has begun a good work in you, he chose you, before the foundation of the world. He predestined you. He called you. He justifies you. He glorifies you. He who began a good work in you, he will complete it. Now, where do you fall into that equation? (laughs) Over here. He began the work. He will complete it. Right. Now, 
we fail along the way. We fall short along the way. Sometimes we just lay down and just roll all in our sin. But he will complete the work. Three things. Number one, he he started the work. You didn't start the work. Your salvation is did not start because you got the bright idea. Hmm, I think I'm going to go to Jesus Christ. I love when people are like, you know, I remember when I found Christ. I was like, when was he lost? <laughs> I'm just confused. I'm, I'm confused. When was, <laughs> when was Jesus lost? You did not find Christ. He found you. He started the work. Number two, not only did he start the work, he will complete the work. He keeps working. You know, and if you're anything like me, he has a lot of work to do. <laughs> okay. But he keeps working. Here's the third thing that I think we miss. We all we know this verse, we quote this verse, and, and we love this verse, but this is the part that we miss. And it didn't dawn on me until about six o'clock this morning when I was looking at this passage. This is what we miss. He says he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's where we fall short. We're looking at today. We're concerned about, man, I've I've been saved since six. That means I've been saved 33 years and I'm still struggling with stuff. Talking about myself. (laughs) Still struggling with stuff. And we think, man, I should, by this time, I, I should be further along in my walk. And so we beat ourselves up. We look at, at, at things that we've done, shortcomings, failures, sins, things. They'd be like, oh, man, if people knew this about me. And so we lie. We're like, yeah, back in the day, I used to struggle with this. <laughs> when back in the day was like yesterday. <laughs> because. We don't want to tell people the truth about where we are in our walk with the Lord. But God is not focused on today. (laughs) God is not focused on today. God is focused on the day of Jesus Christ. And so he keeps working while we're focused on today and beating ourselves up today about our shortcomings. God is focused on the day when Jesus will return. He's going to keep working until that day because on that day we will be glorified and we will no longer be able to sin. But for now, he just keeps on working. And what we have to learn how to do is take the long view of this thing. Yes, we should not feel comfortable being in sin. That's not what I'm trying to get us to see. But recognize that he is the one doing the work and he will keep working until it is complete and you will stand holy and blameless in his presence because he who promised is faithful on that day we will all be holy and blameless in his presence as paul says in ephesians 1 3 and not because one day we will eventually get ourselves together you know we say that yeah one day i'm a I'm going to just get myself together. One day I'm going to figure this all out. No, you won't. <laughs> nope. It's not going to happen. I, I can tell you, after 33 years of being a Christian, you will not figure it out. It's, it's just not going to happen. You will not get yourself together. It's not, it's not going to happen. You are going to be a mess until the day Jesus returns. Okay. All of us will be. Right. But we have to remember, he is the one doing the work. He gave us a new heart. And even though we stain this new heart every single day, he is the one doing the work. Every single day, the Holy Spirit is working on us to renew our hearts and to bring us into conformity with Christ. And no matter how much we fail... This endeavor will ultimately succeed because it does not depend on us. 
It depends on the one who chose us. God Almighty is doing the work. Now, you can be like me and fight him and struggle, and, and he can just drag you on along. <laughs> you know, I love to see when I go to the supermarket, some kids, they be falling out because their parents won't give them something, and the parents just grab and be like, come on. You know, that, that's the story of my spiritual life. That's how God has brought me along all these 33 years. Come on, let's just go. And just drag me on spiritually. <laughs> that's actually how I got into preaching. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not interested. You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to just kill you. Oh, yeah, preaching is a real nice, you know, real nice thing. <laughs> Was not interested, but he had to drag me along, right? But that's how all of us will get into heaven. He's going to drag us through those gates, kicking and screaming. I love my sin, Lord. <laughs> that's how he saves us from our sins. We are, we are, we're out enjoying our sin, having a ball in our sin, because the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And as long as God's grace is operating, it's great. But when he removes his grace and we recognize, oh, Lord, get me out of this. <laughs> that, that's him dragging us on. Like, Come on, let's go. Time to go. On to the next thing. But he is the one doing the work. And he is going to make sure that that work is complete on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you all are probably confused because you think that I'm saying we have no role to play in this at all. You have no role to play in salvation. You have no role to play in your sanctification. That against your will, excuse me, God is going to make you holy and get you into heaven. And I hope that is not what you hear me saying, because that is not what I'm saying at all. Right. Um. Plus, there are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of commands in the Bible, right? And, and God commands our obedience, and he will not obey for you. You have to do that on your own. But what I am saying is, one, God gives us what we need to obey. He gives us a new heart, right? Repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, right? Starting in Deuteronomy Jeremiah, Isaiah, even Ezekiel. Um, um, the Bible repeatedly talks about um, needing a new heart or having your heart circumcised or taking out a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh or, or sprinkling clean water on you, right? These are all ideas of God purifying us or giving us a new heart. He gives us what we need to obey. He makes us a new person. Number two, the Holy Spirit is moment by moment working on us to empower us and to bring us to the point of obedience. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when you go to do something, mm, don't do that. All right, you did it anyway. I'm going to make you feel bad. <laughs> right, you know you shouldn't have did that. I know I shouldn't have did that. And, and, and he's working on you every single day, moment by moment, to, to bring you to the place of obedience to Christ. Number three, by his grace, God has accepted us in Christ. So even when we fail, we don't have to fear his rejection. Even when we fail, we don't fear his rejection. Now, one thing I know that I, I, I love I'm seeing this. If you parent correctly, <laughs> right, um, you will see this in your children. You will see children who know they have done something wrong and know they deserve to be spanked or disciplined or whatever you do, but they run to you anyway. They run to you anyway. Those are the greatest times for me as a parent. Now, sometimes I'm like, you know you should have came and told me that. I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, Karis, she's just brutally honest. I'd be like, man, I wish I was like that as a child. <laughs> My parents like, did you do that? I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we just going, you know, just, I got the video. 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that was me as a child. But Caitlin Karras, they just like, you know, I was just so mad. I did it. You know, don't get Karras. That was me. Or Karras be like, I was angry. <laughs> they just they just telling themselves, right? They don't. They know that they're going to have some form of discipline, but they still come to you anyway. That's how we should be with God. I know I know I deserve to be punished, and Hebrews 12 promises me that I'm going to get punished. <laughs> but I'm going to come to you anyway. Hebrews 4. I'm going to come boldly before your throne of grace for grace and help in my time of need. Number four, the outcome, that is our justification, that he is saved us one moment in time, our sanctification, that he is going to continue working on us to make us holy throughout our lives, and our glorification, that we will be holy and righteous and blameless in his presence. That outcome was determined in advance. If he chose you in eternity past, you will get saved. <laughs> you will grow in your walk with him in this life. Now, your walk may look like the stock market. <laughs> Great Depression. Come back up, you know. Recession of 2008. <laughs> right. But you, you're going to grow in your walk with him. It's not going to be perfect, but the trajectory of your life should be, you know, in an uptrend if we're talking, you know, uh, the stock market. Should be in an uptrend. And ultimately, he's going to glorify you. The outcome was determined before you were even born. And this is why, to end this, this is why Paul could say these things that he says in Romans chapter 8. I want us, as we are coming out of this series on James and Job, and again, Job, James is very clear, right? And he, he just hammers you chapter after chapter after chapter, and I'm just like, man, I ain't spiritual at all, you know, talking about your tongue and how you treat people, and I mean, oh, I tell you, I'm like, well, I treat people the way they treat me, (laughs) 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 like, well, that's not how you're supposed to do it as a Christian, brother, (laughs) okay, and so, so James make you feel like, man, I got so far to go, and so then we start, we start, analyzing ourselves, what my seminary professor called navel-gazing. Like, <laughs> you know, we, just look, we just take a, just a deep, introspective look at ourselves. And if we look only at ourselves, we should feel guilty and ashamed. But what I'm trying to get us to see is that we don't have to look at ourselves. God is not looking at us apart from Christ. He's only looking at us through Christ and in Christ. And if we start to take that same perspective, we should be able to get to the same point as Paul. Now, notice Paul's progression. In Romans chapter 6, Paul starts to talk about sanctification, right? He talks about how, you know, we should not live in sin, making a health, a practice of, of sin in our lives, verse 1. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm with Paul on that. I got you. Yeah, we good, we good. And then Paul gets down to like verse 15 or 16, and he says, we shouldn't even sin just once. What? What, what you talking about, Paul? <laughs> you know, don't be messing me up on Saturday nights. Paul says we, we, we shouldn't even sin every once in a while. We should not play with sin. I get it. We shouldn't live a lifestyle of sin. I don't live a lifestyle of sin. But every now and again, you know, God knows my heart. 
And then we feel guilty. We feel bad. Romans chapter 7, Paul gets to say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? When, when I want to do the right thing, I don't even find the ability to do it. I have the desire, but I don't have the willpower to do the right thing. And then the things that I know I should not be doing, somehow I find the willpower to do that. <laughs> and Paul, by the end of Romans 7, is beating himself up. He gets to chapter 8, and he recognizes that even though he continues to fall short of God's glory, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is like Noah's ark. (laughs) That on the day of judgment, those who are in Christ... They will be saved from the floodwaters of God's wrath. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I can take it, bring in a whole bunch of other verses to show that every single person who is in Christ do not walk according to the flesh. They all walk according to the spirit. Some of us walk very slowly according to the spirit. Some of us walk very far behind the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us are dragged by the Holy Spirit, but we all walk according to the Spirit. You with me? And we're going to see this in our next series as we go through Galatians. <laughs> okay. All Christians walk according to the Spirit. We don't live according to the flesh. We have moments of insanity when we play with the flesh, but we don't walk according to the flesh. All right at least in Paul's understanding of of these spiritual realities. But he he goes on into talking about these things, but he gets to Romans chapter 8, and this is where I want all of us to be able to get to, to the end of Romans chapter 8. If we recognize the gospel and we allow the gospel to do its work in our hearts, in our minds, in our conscience, in our memory, when when we fall short, when we fail, If we allow the gospel to do its complete work, we will all get to what Paul says in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, we normally think of that being enemies. But sometimes it's our conscience that's against us. Sometimes it's our past that is against us. Sometimes it's that person like, you remember when you did such and such? I remember. (laughs) Right? But if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen to Paul's point. If, if we can roll back to Romans chapter 5, when you were God's enemies, <laughs> First Corinthians 5, let me say that. <laughs> if when, you don't have to look there, I'm just saying. If when you were God's enemies, he killed his son for you and made you his son and daughter, <laughs> literally, causing you to share in his personal relationship with Christ. How will he not now freely give you all things, namely for our purposes today, a clear conscience and no guilt and no shame? If he was willing to kill his own son to bring you close to himself, how do you think that the sins that you commit today or last week or last year or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or in an hour and a half, <laughs> I was trying to see what time is it, because <laughs> we will all commit some sin in an hour and a half. <laughs> probably, we are probably all committing some form of idolatry now because, like, when are you going to shut up because <laughs> the, the Ravens play at one? 
We got to get out of here. That's idolatry. <laughs> As Michael, Michael calls it, the church of the NFL. Okay. How will he not freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. When your conscience berates you and beats you up over things that you have done, tell your conscience, who can bring a charge against God's elect? God has justified me. He declared me not guilty of those things. Who is it who condemns? When your conscience tries to condemn you or someone tries to condemn you, tell them, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for me. I know I did that. There's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. As a matter of fact, he is standing, he is sitting at the right hand of his father praying for me. So I'm going to do better the next time. (laughs) All right. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or your conscience? That guilty feeling? Can that separate you from the love of Jesus Christ? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, my conscience, my memory, all of those things, in all of these things, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. For I'm persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor things to come, um, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing, not even the things that I did in the 90s or the early 2000s (laughs) or last week for that matter shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You are safe and secure in Christ. Now, I don't know how long Um, any of us have to live. I'm praying that the Lord would give me another 39 years to fix all of the stuff I messed up in the last 39 years. Okay, (laughs) I'm like, Lord, at least I can balance it out, you know. (laughs) But if he allows me to live another 39 years, guess what's going to happen when I get 78? I'm be like, Lord, can I get another 78 years to balance this thing out? <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, it's never going to balance. I'm going to always sin and fall short of his glory. I may have times where I'm like, woohoo, that was a great three minutes. <laughs> And then somebody's going to cut me off in traffic going home. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I should have listened to my own sermon. So <laughs> right? We're going to all fall short. Until the day we die, we're never going to be perfect. But the message of the gospel is this. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. He gives that to you freely. He pours his grace out on you freely. As a matter of fact, if you earned it, it would not be grace. (laughs) He chose you freely by his grace. He pursued you until he made you love him by his grace. He knew when you woke up that morning, you was going to do it. You're like, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. Oh, man, I did it anyway. He already knew that, 
right? He was just waiting for you to realize you was going to do it. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3. His mercies are new every morning. And if you like me, the morning needs to be like every hour. Because <laughs> I fail him daily, sometimes hourly. Like, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be more patient, but these people get on my nerves. <laughs> but none of that, none of the stuff you know about yourself can ever make him stop loving you. Nothing that you ever do can cause him to take back your justification. Nothing that you ever do could stop him from loving you. The outcome was determined before you were born and he is going to keep working until you land safely in his presence. Now, we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and that's the catch. Okay. When I say catch, not meaning like it's a catch that if you don't, then you aren't going to make it. You're going to make it. You're just going to have a lot of bumps and bruises on the way. A lot of spankings, Hebrews chapter 12. But the spankings are designed to get you where you need to be. Because you're going to get there. You know, just how many whoopings you get is going to be up to you. <laughs> Y'all with me? You understand? You got me. All right. So I know that we have been um, struggling and wrestling um, and sometimes when, you know, circumstances and things that we go through um, can, can add to this. But um, what I want us to do, um, of course, as I said, for the month of December, excuse me, we kind of wrap up, um, focus on Christmas and all. And then in January, we're going to jump into the book of Galatians. And when we get to the book of Galatians, I promise you, by the time we finish, we're going to have that complete opposite problem. Okay, uh, so James tells us you got to focus on yourself. Make sure you have good works. Do the right thing. And then we get to Galatians. Paul says, you better stop looking at your works. Your works don't mean nothing. Don't worry about doing good deeds. That counts for nothing. And people are like, oh, I ain't got to do nothing. <laughs> okay, so then I'm going to have to have this conversation on the back end and be like, y'all better start doing the right stuff for Christ. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, but again, This struggle is a perennial struggle, right? Um, we, we, the church has always, you know, slid, you know, slid back and forth between what we call antinomianism, feeling like, hey, I'm saved in Christ. It doesn't matter what I do. And so we just do anything, live anyway. Um, and then on the other hand, we fall into legalism. I got to keep a bunch of rules. I got to do the right thing. You know, it all depends on me. Um, the gospel walks in between both of those two issues, Right. No, it's not about your works. Keeping the law and doing the right thing. That's not why God chose you. Right. But he chose you. And so even though you're free to live any way you want, you shouldn't. Because that's not what it means to be a child of God. And so we have to, the gospel walks us through these two things, these two positions. And we will see Paul threading that needle very carefully in the book of Galatians, all right? So you can start reading the book of Galatians. How many times do I want you to read the book of Galatians? 20 times. All six chapters. <laughs> all six chapters, 20 times, all right? So if you read, just like James, you read James 20 times, and you know the book of James, don't you? You know the book of James, all right? So um, I did not want you to read Job 20 times because you would still be reading Job next year sometime. <laughs> right. um, but I want you to read through the book of Galatians, right? Um, it's only six chapters. Um, listening to it on uh, um, audio, it counts, okay? So if you have a, um, have a Bible app or, or something that you can play while you drive, 
listen to it as, as you go but i want you to get through it 20 times okay so and i promise you by the time you read galatians 20 times right you it, most of it at least will be sticking in your head all right you will know exactly what paul is thinking all right um and we will start that in january but i'm give you a head start right and even if you you know i just sit down read all six chapters one day so i just every every day i wake up I read the Galatians, read the Galatians, right? So I'm almost done my 20 times. Um, but if you don't have the, the time to read through all 20 at once, right, you know, take your time, right? Read two chapters, three chapters, and just keep working your way through it until you, you get through it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for um, your word. I pray that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that reality is what you say it is. Yes, we have all sinned. We've all blown it at times, and uh, we all beat ourselves up. But you have called us righteous. You have declared us righteous. And even though we still sin and fall short of your glory, we are righteous in your sight. And what we have to learn how to do is see ourselves the way you see us and start living according to your vision of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, because when we leave this place, uh, our consciences and our memories and things will continue to plague us. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would keep working your word in and through our hearts and minds and our memory and our conscience and and I pray, Lord, that, that when, when these things come up to us to make us feel guilty and ashamed, we would stand with Paul and say, who is it that condemns? It is Christ who died for me. And we keep applying to the gospel to our hearts, our minds, our conscience, our memory to, gain, to, to shame and guilt. We keep applying the gospel until we stand clear and free in our conscience before you knowing that we cannot change the past so it's no point in beating ourselves up over it knowing that you said that you will take our sins and cast it into a sea of forgetfulness and you will remember our sins against us no more so we shouldn't remember our sins against ourselves either Help us to see that even though from this day forward we will all fail, there is nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ. And because of Christ and in Christ and through Christ, we are more than conquerors because he has loved us. I pray, Lord, that you would allow the gospel to sink deeply into our being so that we would in every moment of every day live out the practical application of the gospel not just knowing we'll get into heaven but making sure that the gospel works for our everyday life here and now and lord we look forward to the day of christ because we know on that day All of us who have put our trust in him, we will stand in your presence, holy and blameless, not fearing any condemnation, because that was taken away from us in Christ. We thank you now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.